Welcome to Zestful Aging, where I interview inspiring, fascinating women who are navigating aging with class and sass. I'm your host, Nicole Christina. Hey everyone, I am so grateful for all of the downloads, and I'd love a rating on iTunes and a comment. And please subscribe. It helps the show's rating so other people can find it and learn how to age well. And if you are loving the podcast, why not check out the companion online course, Zestful Aging, Simple and Sustainable Habits for Health and Longevity. You can access it through my website, NicoleChristina.com forward slash Zestful Aging. It's based on the Harvard Study of Adult Development, and I'm really proud of how it's turned out. Well, I've got my coffee in my hand and my trusty dog Sparky beside me, so let's begin. Our next guest is Lisa Sutz, who is a social worker at DeRote, a nonprofit organization whose goal is to alleviate social isolation and provide concrete services to older adults. DeRote has been an innovative leader in the fields of aging and volunteerism. Lisa's going to talk with us today about the importance of having friends of different ages as we get older. And it's also called intergenerational friendships. And we've seen these initiatives in Europe as well, where college students are living with seniors, for example. So we're going to hear more. A warm welcome, Lisa. Oh, thank you for having me. I'm really excited to hear about this because um, I think for most of our listeners, this might be a bit of a new idea. Do mm-hmm. you find that some people haven't haven't quite heard of this initiative to get people of all ages together? I think so. And I think it's really a symptom of the problem that for a lot of younger people, a lot of older people are really just kind of invisible. So it's not a thing that really occurs to a lot of people until they end up having a situation either with an older parent or a grandparent that really opens their eyes to the fact that older people and younger people spend less and less time together. It's it's interesting that you said that because I watched some videos before our interview and they had kids coming in or in your case I saw some of the uh, the high school interns uh-huh. and at first there is this sense like oh this is different mm-hmm. but it really shouldn't be no it shouldn't be and it wasn't really generations in the past I think one of the casualties that's come with our sort of really super hyper mobile society is that even on a family level, older generations and younger generations don't spend as much time together. It's great that everybody can move to different parts of the country or different parts of the world. But one of the negative things that come from that is that older people, younger people don't often grow up in close proximity to the older people, even in their families. So they don't have that sort of baseline foundation of affinity, of comfort. And so it doesn't always occur to the younger people that there are older people in their community that they might learn from, that they might enjoy being friends with. And so there's, it's a less natural fit, I think, these days. People just aren't as aware. Yeah, I, you know, it's interesting. Uh, as you're talking, I'm thinking of sort of the, the typical sense of community mm-hmm. um, probably did include all kinds of ages. Yeah. If not under the same roof, then certainly like on the same block 
or going to the same stores. And I think our communities are more and more segregated in many ways. And one of those ways tends to be generationally. And I'm, I'm guessing that you're uh, seeing a lot of loneliness in, in seniors. I know that's an epidemic problem. Is that one of the things that some of this programming addresses? Absolutely. Social isolation is a huge problem. It's a problem for health reasons, even if someone isn't um, sort of minded to be concerned about it for humanitarian reasons, which I certainly hope they would, then even on purely economic terms, it should be a concern for all of us because of the devastating effects that it has um, on people's health and well-being and ability to be part of society. But yeah, that's absolutely, you know, Derote was started uh, way back in 1976 by some recent Columbia grads who noticed that there were a lot of seniors in the area and they seemed to be alone a lot. And they just started to think, you know, who do they turn to when they need help with something? Who do they turn to when they just want to talk? And why is it that we don't have natural ways for us as a younger generation to interact with an older generation? And so they decided to start an organization to help make those intergenerational connections more natural um, and more present in their lives and also to reduce the social isolation for the seniors. It's really a, a big part of being human. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> when we do it well, yeah. Yeah. Can you talk a little bit about some examples? I think we can all understand this sort of conceptually, but yeah. can you talk a little bit about some some of the successes that you've seen in your career yeah. as a social work yeah social worker yeah yeah i mean uh, there's there's one senior that comes to mind who i've been working with for um three and a half years or so um and he had uh, gotten connected with derote about a year and a half prior to me coming and at the time that he was initially assessed by one of my colleagues um she described him as being extremely withdrawn um, that he would barely speak, and that he was relentlessly, relentlessly negative. And she ended up finding, over time, three different um, young men that over time have become his regular weekly visitors. And by the time I met this man, he he's gregarious, he never stops laughing. And what changed in his life was the influx of these three people. This man happens to be homebound, and so his world had grown so small, so narrow. He just didn't have any access to the people and things that mattered to him. And bringing in these, these three young men who could really share with him, who could also make him feel like a teacher, to actually enjoy what he had to bring to the table, just brought new life to him. It was so, it was so striking that when I read his file when I first started, I was like, this has to be just a different person with the same name. There's no way this is the same person. Wow. He was virtually unrecognizable. And when I went to go meet him, it became clear. This is a very social person who unfortunate life circumstances had left him alone. And it was against everything in him to be that way. And so he had shut down. And having these people in his life has just made all the difference in the world. You know, as a, as a clinical social worker, um, seeing people, I imagine that um, without a context to understand this, somebody might say, well, that's clearly just a depressed person. And, mm -hmm. you know, he used to be different. Now he's depressed. Maybe he's lost some of his supports. Let's put him on medication. Mm. 
Um, but what you're saying is this is just a natural part of being human, mm -hmm. and it, it has to exist for people to, you know, to make life worth living. Absolutely. We all need to feel like we're valued, like we have something to contribute. And the people I meet, the seniors that I meet in the course of my work time and time again, because they don't have anyone in their life on a regular basis that tells them that, start to believe that they have nothing worth sharing. And that's really incredibly demoralizing. And we all suffer from that because let me tell you, these people have so much to share. So they have lived such interesting lives and we're really, all of us are losing if, if we don't tap into that resource, if we don't value their humanity. It, it's really, it's a mistake for everybody. Mm -hmm. You sound so passionate about your yeah, work. Yeah, it's, it's, I see it every day. It's, it's something I always intuitively knew, um, maybe because of my personal life experience, my prior work experience, but being here and meeting these seniors every day, it's, it's unmistakable. Well, I, I saw on your bio that you had originally um, uh, studied political science. Is yes. that correct? Yeah. Yes. You want to talk a little bit about that transition for you? What made you decide, I don't know if I want to be a consultant anymore. Mm -hmm. I want to be more involved in helping the lives of, of elders. Yeah. Well, I had always had a focus on working with um, seniors. Um, from a very young age, I always felt a particular and special connection. So even when I was working in the worlds of politics and government, that was always sort of my niche. So I always focused on senior outreach, went to lots of senior centers. But over time, what I came to realize was that, you know, being in politics, being in government to me was about public service, although it ends up being about a lot of other things too. And so I just decided that I wanted to pivot and sort of eliminate the rest of that stuff and just focus my time, energy, and passion on the parts of it that were really about boots on the ground, direct practice, and being of service in a more one-on-one -on -one way. It sounds like sort of stepping out of the ivory tower a little bit. Yeah, there was that element too. I, mm -hmm. I think there's a, a lot of detachment um, in some circles um, and a lot of things that are about theory as opposed to actually getting to know people and listening to them and meeting them where they are. And I, I thought that, you know, I didn't want to, that wasn't really where, where my skills were best utilized. Mm -hmm. What are some of the challenges of your, um, of your role now? Well, you know, there are lots of complexities in terms of helping um, older and younger people bridge some generational gaps. You know, there are certain linguistic things, you know, ways that people um, referred to things years ago that are mean entirely different things or have different connotations to younger people. There's a sort of pace of life that's very different for our younger, younger volunteers because we have teen interns and college interns who also visit seniors. Um, you know, what they're accustomed to is sort of a rapid fire everything, an immediate <laughs> gratification. That's right. And really helping to coach them and support them to, to slow down a little and to really listen and to really hear what someone's saying that that takes a little time in coaching um but it, it's 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 definitely something a, a bridge we can overcome you know that it's 
it's something that's a challenge for, for the senior and the younger person, but it's also one of the things that's great because for the um, the older person in the in the partnership, a lot of times they say that it gives them a renewed sense of energy, a greater connection to contemporary technology, to contemporary pop culture. So they benefit in that way. And the younger person gets to see that like they there's a benefit to not always being so hyper connected. And there's a benefit to the one-on-one -on -one versus everything being, you know, up for public consumption. Maybe they can just sit in someone's kitchen with them and have a lengthy conversation about life. And they don't often have the opportunity to do that. No one's, no one's really trained them to do that. So here is a person who, who wants to learn about them and will sit and just talk to them. And what a blessing for a younger person to have that experience. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So take me through the process of, um, do you go, do you recruit teens to come and volunteer for Dorote? Yeah, well, for the teens specifically, we have partnerships with lots of schools, um, some synagogues, different organizations. So for the teens, they mostly come in through that way. But we also get lots of teens that reach out to us. You know, they're on our website. They decide they want to do some what they usually refer to as community service or they just want to do some volunteering. Um, a lot of times also now we have, you know, Dorota has been around since 1976. So we have generations of families that have been involved. So maybe they know that their mother was a friendly visitor and visited a senior, you know, for a week, uh, once a week for years. And so they grew up with this just being something they saw. It was modeled behavior. And so now it's just part of their life. So maybe, you know, as part of um, once they become bar mitzvahed and they want to have a special project they do, they decide that they mm -hmm. want to visit someone. People come in through every avenue that you can possibly imagine. And so you bring people in and then how do you train them to, um, to do this volunteer work mm -hmm. with seniors? You said there's a little bit of tweaking that might need to happen. Yeah, the, the programs are slightly different for the younger volunteers. So let's say for, for the teens and the families, because we have um, kids that visit with their parents that can be as young as four years old. Those aren't for ongoing weekly visits. Those are for sort of sporadic visits. Like four times a year, we do something we call package deliveries, where we go and we visit seniors in their homes and bring these packages full of gift items that are sort of seasonally or holiday themed. So mm -hmm. very little kids can do that. But for the, for the ongoing um, weekly or monthly, what we call friendly visiting, which is where you're going to visit for a minimum of a year to build an ongoing relationship, there's a very extensive screening process for that and an orienting process um, because it's important to make sure that we make the matches very thoughtfully. So for each person that's going to become a regular visitor, a friendly visitor, they go to an orientation, then they meet with a social worker for um, an interview and an orientation, and then they're assigned a social worker who supports the match. So the social worker um, becomes the social worker to both the senior and the volunteer and supports them over time. So in the initial stages of the relationship, talks to them after each visit and helps them walk through any questions, any challenges, just talk about what's going well, what you guys enjoy doing together. And then over time, as the match sort of solidifies, the social worker remains a presence in that sort of like triangle of support, as we call it. And so it, it becomes just an, a really powerful ongoing relationship. It sounds very um, time intensive. And oh, it is very intensive. time intensive. That is true. Uh-huh. I see. So, you know, I, I, what comes to mind is um, 
do you have a way to talk to your volunteers about the possibility of them losing their their connection to death? Yeah, obviously that's something unfortunately we deal with, um, not infrequently. Um, and it's something that we begin talking about when they come in for an interview to make sure that they understand that that's a possibility. And that's one of the reasons why they have an ongoing social worker, someone that they build a relationship of trust with. And sometimes, you know, when a match starts, maybe the senior is in very good health and maybe, you know, a lot of matches go on for years and years and years. The longest match that I'm following right now, they've been together for 21 years. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. So the, the senior is now um, in her upper 90s. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's a long process of adjusting. And the possibility is, of course, that the senior may die and, and we're there for support in all kinds of different ways. And also the, the preparation for that, because um, there are lots of losses that can happen along the way, loss of mobility. You know, there's some, some pairs that always like to go outside and do things together. And then maybe two, three years into the match, you know, things have changed for the senior and they're not really able to get out anymore. So if they used to love to go to baseball games, then we help them brainstorm, like maybe they can't get out to the baseball game, but maybe they can watch it together on TV and have, you know, a version of that experience. You know, maybe they listen to it on the radio if the senior's vision is no longer, you know, good enough to watch it on TV. There's so many different ways. And so that's part of our role is to really help people think outside the box and really find what's at the root of the connection. The activities matter but not as much as the relationship. So they have to, I mean, both the senior and the volunteer have to make adjustments as the years go on or as time yeah. goes on, which is exactly what has to happen, you know, within ourselves as we age yeah. and within our families. Yeah, it's a great lesson in flexibility for everybody and about really accepting people for who and what they are and learning to grow together. You know, the, the seniors and the volunteers grow and change over time. I mean, that pair that I mentioned, you know, that have been together for 21 years, when the volunteer first started, she was a new young professional, new to New York. Here she is, you know, more than 20 years later. Now she's a mother of three. Oh she now God. lives in New Jersey. She commutes to come visit the senior. It's her and both of their lives are totally different, but they've built this solid base of support and, that's what keeps them together. Mm -hmm. Hello, Zestful Agers. A short intermission to thank you for the incredible amount of downloads. I love creating this podcast, and it's so satisfying to know that you are enjoying it too. Creating and hosting Zestful Aging has been a blast but it does require a lot of time and resources to deliver a high-quality interview to you every week. So I've signed up with Patreon, which is kind of like Kickstarter, but for ongoing artistic projects. Unlike Kickstarter, the donations are recurrent and the amount is usually smaller. When you become a patron of Zestful Aging, you will receive special benefits like behind-the-scenes info, a place to communicate with other listeners as well as other patron-only bonuses. These funds will be used to make equipment upgrades, particularly for mobile interviewing, and to travel 
to interview guests, like to New York City to interview participants in the Diversity Fashion Show. I also need to hire a professional editor. So please go to patreon.com forward slash zestful aging and make a small but vital donation. Thank you for contributing to the ongoing success of zestful aging, and I can't wait to bring you more juicy, inspiring interviews. Now back to the show. And for you, um, what what do you do to, it sounds like there's a lot of stuff that happens that fills your heart and makes you hopeful. Yeah. How do you navigate the parts that are difficult knowing that there's so many lonely people and it's mm. such a health risk and you can't get to everyone. How, how do you do that within your own life? Yeah, that's, that's a challenge. <laughs> yeah. I definitely come back from visits sometimes and it, it really requires a little bit of time and processing and honoring the fact that I can do what I can do and it's not always going to feel sufficient. Mm -hmm. And really the most effective thing is to talk about it for me with someone else, you know, with a colleague or someone else that can understand and to really just try to be creative and also just to be present in the moment. There are sometimes maybe I go and I meet someone and maybe they're too memory impaired to be in a friendly visiting match. And for whatever other set of circumstances, they're not going to participate in any of our other programs. That can be especially frustrating because I feel like, what, what did I give to this person? You know? And then I remember, well, what I did was I sat with them for an hour and a half and I really listened. When I do my job well is when I know, when someone says to me when I leave, like, I feel, I felt like you really heard me or thank you so much for listening mm -hmm. to my story. Or, you know, I, I, I often don't feel interesting. You made me feel interesting. To me, that's, that's not nothing. It's not enough. <laughs> it rarely feels like enough, but, but there, is, there is power in that mm -hmm. to remind How someone that, that they matter. You, you know. know, I think about that sometimes now um, as a social worker, and it seems like it's more and more rare to sit with someone for yeah. a good part of an hour and yeah. nobody being on their phones, unless, mm -hmm. of course, you're working with teens and they're always checking their, <laughs> their Instagram. Oh. Um, but, you know, to sit there and actually have a conversation where you're making eye contact, where you're not also prepping dinner or mm -hmm. empty the dishwasher and you're just sitting there. It's so rare. Yeah. It's a gift. It's, it's so rare. We're not accustomed to doing that. A lot of us aren't necessarily intuitively comfortable with doing it because it's not something we do frequently. And, and people are so rarely, especially asked anything about themselves. You know, uh, during interviews with volunteers, I ask them, you know, a little bit about like, if you could dream big, you know, invent, tell me the perfect person that you would want to spend, you know, this time with each week. They have a hard time thinking about that. And then they have an even harder time when I ask them, you know, if I were just, just to describe you to a senior that I might want to pair you with, how would, how would you want me to describe you? Oh, wow. And people are often floored by that because we, we don't take the time to think on those terms. We rarely have the breathing space to do that. Too many things are about efficiency and there are lots of, you know, just pressures to get things done. We all want to get things done. But 
there's a beauty and a power in a in just being present with people. Mm -hmm. So much of this is just basic what what humans need yeah it's really getting down to the basics of being mammals and mm -hmm. being in a tribe yeah you know? i think the other reason why sometimes people are a little bit nervous about having more lengthy or deeper conversations specifically with with older adults is that there's a a discomfort in hearing things like frustration about loss and about sadness and I mean, seniors have, a, there are seniors I meet who are the most optimistic and upbeat people, but there is a certain reality that part of getting older can often be dealing with losses, dealing with losses in a resilient way, absolutely. But for a lot of people, they just don't have the language or the comfort to, to talk about those kinds of tough things, you know, to sit with that. Absolutely. We try to make that go away. We try to explain it away instead of just saying, yeah, that that sounds really tough. How is that for you? Just staying there. And I think a lot of times people feel that. And so they sort of perform a little, you know, and, and I think we need to really try to get away from that and let people feel what they're feeling and, and be a little bit more, a little bit more vulnerable with each other. I think we'd all really benefit from that. Yeah, I just um, was became aware and you may already know about this woman. She's a palliative care physician in Britain, name, uh, her name's Catherine Mannix, and she talks about we don't use the D word anymore. We don't yeah. use death, and we say, oh, they passed away, and let's not really say what it is because it's too anxiety-provoking, right. <laughs> you know, and it, we miss such a chance Absolutely. to really address it in, in all of its complexities. Yeah. And people deserve to have those thoughts and feelings honored. Otherwise, we're avoiding it for ourselves. You know, if we dance around those subjects, who, who is that for? That's, that's not really for the benefit of the older adult. That's really for our own comfort. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. How has doing this work, the, would you say the boots on the ground, mm -hmm. how has it changed your life? Mm. I feel more optimistic. <laughs> I really do. I feel, I see things that perhaps, I think I've always been pretty attuned to, to the, the challenges that, that um, older adults face, but I see things through different eyes, you know, walking around just, you know, in your average subway station, I see all the points of inaccessibility. The, I see, I see all of the challenges. I see how tiny the font is on, is on everything unnecessarily. How there are so many little ways that we could help connect people that instead, like we just don't design our systems and our places to do that. And well, we think, better start because yeah. as, you, as I'm sure you're aware, the demographic is shifting hugely. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's, so it's going to need to happen, but it should be, it should be happening already. But that, that's one of the things that's beautiful that I see so many young people come here that become passionate, dedicated spokespeople for this kind of intergenerational work. That once you see the isolation, you can't unsee it. Mm -hmm. I can't even begin to tell you how many seniors we serve who live in walk-up apartments and mm -hmm. are basically prisoners in their own homes. Mm -hmm. They would otherwise be able to get out, but they can't do the stairs. So they're literally stuck in their apartments because they can't get out mm -hmm. and there's nowhere, where are they going to move? 
So it, it's like there's so many different ways that we could address systems and structures. You know, there's a macro piece and a micro piece. And uh, I think we should and, and can be doing more. Mm -hmm. Is uh, Where are we as a culture in the U.S.? I've seen a lot in terms of, you know, some of the more Nordic countries like Sweden and, and Denmark and Norway starting to bring college kids. And I hope I'm not um, misquoting this or, or misconstruing this, but um, people coming in in Europe, uh, giving, um, you know, free housing, for example, if mm -hmm. uh, the college students might live in the senior um, center or the senior living facility. Uh, are we doing those kinds of things as well? Where are we as a as a nation in terms yeah. of doing these innovative programs? You know, I'm, I'm not an expert on this, but it's certainly something that I read about and am very interested in. And I know the programs you're talking about, there's a large program like that in Denmark that's mm -hmm. apparently extraordinarily successful. Um, to my knowledge, there isn't any sort of wide scale effort to do that here. There are sort of little smaller pockets of things. I mean, even here in New York City, there's an organization called the New York Foundation for Senior Citizens and they have a home sharing program. And so it's an opportunity for seniors that have extra space in their apartment to rent it out to another person to come live with them. But it's done in a very carefully screened way. Mm -hmm. And my understanding is that originally it started out that it was mostly seniors moving in with other seniors, which has its benefits too. But sure. over time it's evolved and some some apartments are now, it's the senior has the apartment and a younger person is moving in with them. And that seems to be growing in popularity, that sort of arrangement. And the organization helps interview and screen and background check and helps facilitate and, and, and um, you know, assist with the communication. So I think there are little pockets of projects mm -hmm. and there's some talk about developments. Um, but I mean, we don't have a residential version of that here at DeRoe, but that's kind of what we try to do here, find ways to get people together to have meaningful conversations. Like we have an intergenerational theater program, for example, where the seniors and the teenagers work together to build scenes about their lives over, you know, an extended period over the summer. We have an intergenerational chess program, so they connect over teaching each other chess. So just finding different ways to have people come together and share their space one-on-one -on -one and also in groups. I think it all makes a difference. Does Jerome do any advocacy in terms of trying to get uh, the powers that be uh, a little bit more uh, interested in, in, in helping seniors? I think, you know, again, that's a it's a delicate issue, and I think exactly where one draws the line as a nonprofit, it can be a little bit complicated. I we see. certainly advocate, you know, for funding for senior programs. We certainly have gotten involved. Um, there's actually um, a rally tomorrow um, to fight age discrimination, and Dorote is a partner in that. So w we do get involved in those things. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. What's your favorite part of the job? Yeah. I think my favorite part of the job is is the home visits. Um, I never know who I'm going to meet, and um, I never know how I'm going to be able to be helpful. And it's just a powerful, intimate experience to go into someone's home, to spend that time with them, 
and to really listen to them. And when it goes really well, you know, ideally I'm able to find a, a niche for them that ends up really making a difference in their life. You know, like I'm thinking about this one senior who I met a few years ago and she was actually a, she's a young senior. She's, we serve people over 60 and she's on the young age of that spectrum. She's at the time I met her, she was in her early 60s and she had a, a devastating health situation come up. And so she was basically homebound and sitting with her and talking with her, she, she had developed a lot of anxiety about going out because of all of these health issues. Mm -hmm. And having someone talk to her, listen to her without judgment and without an agenda, I think that's the other important thing that I don't have any horse in this game. The only thing I care about is really listening to them and helping to move things in the direction that they want. I, I really don't have any vested interests. My only vested interest is in helping. And I think people can feel that and are more open to participating in things as a result. Also because we don't frame it and I don't see it as some form of charity. That's not at all what this is about. When they enter into these, these matches, these friendly visiting matches, this mm -hmm. is a re reciprocal situation. Mm -hmm. I don't see it as them benefiting from a service this is them giving a service as much as it is them receiving a service. Mm -hmm. That's really how we see it. And I think people can feel that. And so they're more, more open to things. Mm -hmm. So the senior are valuing them. Yeah. Right. Nobody wants, especially, you know, we serve a lot of people who have spent their lives, you know, dedicated to serving others. And then they find themselves in a situation where, you know, it's hard for them to do that. And maybe they need to reach out and it's really hard oh, to no. accept help. You know, we're, we're, there's definitely a stigma for that. So it, as much as possible, um, framing it differently is helpful for everyone. Mm -hmm. It's also true. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. So what would you like to see um, added to your programming? Is there anything that you're working on now that's new and that's exciting you? Yeah. Well, we're doing a lot of really interesting things now with technology because, you know, you can fight it. But that is the reality of where things are going. There are a lot of different um, ways in which technology, we can actually use it to do our work in a better way and to help seniors more. So one of the most popular things that seniors ask for is actually technology tutoring because they want to be able to stay on top of the news. They want to be able to access city services. And now you can't really do all of that stuff necessarily easily on the phone anymore. So a lot of seniors want to get involved for practical reasons and also for social reasons with computer stuff, with iPads, with iPhones. So we have a really robust um, computer and tech tutoring program, and we're building on that now so that we're also going to be, you know, we have uh, in-office services sometimes, special events where seniors can bring their mobile devices if they're able to get out. Um, and we're, we're integrating that as well into our University Without Walls program, which we've had for decades, but until recently, it was exclusively a telephone conference call system. So uh -huh. we have classes that are held over the phone. And now we've actually started to add um, an, an iPad program so people can see each other, engage in the conversation, in a dialogue, in a discussion, you know, stretch themselves intellectually, educationally, and also socialize at the same time. Because we all know a voice on the phone is great, but there's something special about seeing someone. Mm -hmm. So now we're incorporating the visual element. And so we're, we're trying to use technology to enhance what we do, to connect people instead of disconnect people. Because mm -hmm. it's, it's not inherently bad. Nothing is inherently bad. So we're trying to use it as a tool to, do, mm -hmm. to, to get better at what we do. 
Do you find yourself walking through the city and thinking, hmm, what, what's, what, how, what creative way can I think about connecting seniors and interns? Is that something that's constantly kind of percolating in your mind? It is. It is. Um, I've had the opportunity to supervise college interns for the past three summers. Um, and I have a, a social work graduate student right now that I'm supervising. So I'm always thinking of, you know, creative and different ways to help connect people, to help open each other's minds, to help share interests. It's like I said, it's one of those things there. Once you start to see that way, you can't unsee it. <laughs> mm-hmm. It sounds so hopeful. As you say, you know, you're optimistic and I can see why you would be. You're making such a difference in not only the seniors' lives, but I imagine the interns' lives as well. It it would be even hard to describe, I I imagine, you know, all the ways that this uh, helps a teenager evolve and develop. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I mean, the feedback we get from, for example, from our college interns, is that it's a really transformative experience. You know, um, the interns in, in my department, the community services department, you know, they see two different seniors every week during their internship, and then a number of other seniors that they just see one or two times. And they also participate in our door-to-door program, so they help seniors get to medical appointments. They go shopping for seniors. They go shopping with seniors. So they connect with people on so many different levels. They connect with people on the deeper social level for the people that they're spending more time with. But then they also see what it's like when, for example, it's the middle of summer, a senior has a medical appointment, and they need to hail a cab. They see the realities of what it's like when the cab just drives by, when they can't raise their arm high enough comfortably to catch the attention, when when every sidewalk is chipped and it's it's treacherous. So they see things in a different way. And I think it really, you know, I hear all the time from them that it's inspiring. I would imagine it also develops, as you're describing it, it develops empathy, which, boy, do we need more of that. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and of of course, there there are lots of differences, whether they be economic, um, religious differences. and, And so we, we make an attempt to, to pair people and to really experience diversity in those various ways. And for the young people, you know, who come from all parts of the country to do an internship here, they, they're really exposed to a, a whole new world that they might not have been exposed to before. We have students who come here that hear, you know, about pieces of history from the seniors that they had no knowledge of, you know, that they, they didn't know that there was a program. They didn't know it. It, it totally changes people's vantage points and really helps inspire a lot of people. Not, not everybody who comes through an internship or a teen program here needs to become a social worker or needs to become a geriatric professional. But what our hope is, is that they become a dedicated community servant in whatever way that manifests for them. And there's so many ways to do that. There's so many different titles. You know, we have people that have come through here that are now that are now doctors that specialize in geriatrics. We have people mm-hmm. that, you know, just volunteer their time, you know, when they can. You know, there's so many different ways to do it, but I think it, it can help instill a dedication to and an awareness of the benefits of of being with people that uh, are rare. Mm-hmm. I mean, I can hear the passion in your voice, and I can see why you feel... Um, 
excited about it and optimistic. I mean, that you can really see the transformation. And that is different, I think, than in a clinical practice, Mm -hmm. where often people like me think, boy, I, I think I'm (laughs) <laughs> I, think, I, I, I feel like we're making progress, but I'm not really sure. I mean, I can yeah. see, you know, as you described uh, the senior who was a completely different person. Yeah. A really transformative. Yeah, um, change change happens more slowly or just more more subtly, perhaps, in, in, a, in your setting, in a clinical practice. And that happens sometimes in these, in these matches, too, but it is um, remarkable how quickly even a single day event, you know, when we have those package deliveries, there are volunteers that come and they're just going to spend, you know, an hour with a senior. And sometimes that hour alone sets off a different way of thinking or a dedication to being of service. Maybe not, not to that senior. Maybe, you know, I talk to sometimes people, they say, you know, it made me think about my own grandmother or my own grandfather or my parent that I don't really go visit enough, that maybe I'm a little too quick to judge you know, that I think that they're not trying hard enough. And, you know, when I was meeting with this person, I was able to be sympathetic and empathetic in a way that I haven't been with my own loved one. Mm -hmm. And sometimes it opens people up to seeing the challenges that their loved ones face. Mm -hmm. A lot of, a lot of things that are transformative, not just this, you know, relationship. It's, there's this ripple effect, it sounds like. Um, in some of your programming, pl- places that you don't even anticipate good yeah, things happening. Um, if somebody wants to learn more about your program, Lisa, where's the best place to, to connect? The best thing to do is to go to derotusa.org. Mm-hmm. It's um, a very extensive website with lots of information um, for for seniors and also for volunteers. And there's a, an easy way to sign up for a volunteer orientation, which is sort of the central clearinghouse if you want to participate in any of our programs to mm-hmm. find out because we do a whole lot of things. So there are a lot of different options for people that have a lot of time, people that have a little bit of time, even people that live in other parts of the country. We have a, a program where people can make birthday cards because mm-hmm. we send homemade birthday cards to seniors. Um, so if somebody lives in another part of the country and, you know, they're artistically inclined or just creative and interested, then they can make uh, homemade birthday cards for seniors. And I hear all the time um, from seniors who feel like, you know, maybe they don't have anyone else in their life that's going to send them a card at all. And they got this very thoughtful homemade birthday card. And these little things all make a difference. So yeah, I was going to ask you about that because I'm broadcasting from upstate New York and our listeners are all over the world. So I was going to ask you, you know, you you are based in Manhattan. Is it mm-hmm. is it uh, the offices are only in New York City or do you have other offices? Yeah, we're, we're exclusively in Manhattan right now. The only program for seniors that they can participate in anywhere in the country is the University Without Walls program, the telephone classes. Okay. So we have a lot of people that participate in other parts of the country. Maybe they used to live in New York and they moved Mm -hmm. elsewhere. The Mm -hmm. other programs currently are all Manhattan-based. And on the west side, we're 59th to 125th. And um, on the east side, we're 14th to 96th. Um, One or two of the programs have slightly different service areas. But in general, that's our service area. I see. Well, I... I'm so pleased to have been able to speak with you. Your passion is infectious. Oh, thank you. And it's been so informative. I mean, I know we talked a little bit in Saratoga, and I know yeah. a little bit about DeRote, but, boy, it was just so nice to hear all 
and, and I know we didn't even cover many, <laughs> many of the aspects, but it just sounds like such a positive organization. And I am so glad that you are doing what you do. Oh, thank you. I really appreciate it. You know, it's a community of people, of people that serve older adults and working together. You know, I do believe, maybe it sounds Pollyanna-ish, but I do believe we can make a difference. And I think we have an obligation to. You know, it's good for everybody. Mm -hmm. Thank you so much, Lisa. Thank you. I appreciate it. Thank you so much for joining us on Zestful Aging. I love to hear from my listeners, so send me an email at NicoleChristina.com and tell me what you'd like to hear more about. I would also greatly appreciate if you could hop on iTunes and rate the show. Ratings help other people find the podcast so I can share all these good juicy interviews with others. I would also invite you to become a patron of the Zestful Aging Podcast. Hop on over to patreon.com forward slash Zestful Aging and consider making a small donation. You will be eligible for insider-only goodies and behind-the-scenes information, and it'll help you feel good knowing that you're contributing to the Zestful Aging podcast. I'll look forward to sharing more juicy interviews next week on Zestful Aging.